0: Thank you for reading for us, Ben. There was a whole lot of names in there that were uh, were difficult. I'm going to preach on them now, though. So uh, we're going to work our way through this passage methodically, and as we go, we'll unpack something that was written 3,000 years ago. The best part of anyway, and we'll see how it's relevant for us today still as Christians. So I'm sure you've been given plenty of background on Nehemiah, so I'm not going to give you lots of facts and figures this morning. You can breathe a sigh of relief on that one. But to get us in a a good mindset, we'll just have a brief synopsis of what's happened in the previous five chapters. So the one big fact I have is that, obviously, this book was written by Nehemiah. Originally, it was part of one big document, Ezra and Nehemiah. And we keep hearing... Nehemiah using the word I, 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 we. He was telling us his story. And that's often why we hear this referred to as the memoir of Nehemiah. And in his memoir, we read about a man who prayed and who heard from God. He called him to do something, which was to rebuild this wall. So he sought the permission of the Persian leaders and said, Can I rebuild this wall? And he was given permission, and he went. As he began and progressed, there was opposition. But in the midst of this oppression, Nehemiah carried on. And then Nehemiah saw the people of his own city acting inappropriately towards the poor, and he said, "No, this is wrong." He spoke the truth of God to these people. And then he demonstrated godly generosity himself. And then we arrive at chapter 6, where we see the oppression, the opposition, coming back in Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's direction. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything that we can read about in Scripture. And I pray particularly for this passage that we are going to look at this morning. I pray, Father, and ask that our hearts would be open. That our eyes would be wide open to see what you are saying to us through this passage. And I'd like to pray for myself, Lord, that you would speak through me this morning. Lord, less of me and more of, your, more of you, please. I open my mouth, Lord, that maybe my voice that is heard, your word spoken. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth be accepted. I said no information, but I have one more bit of information to give you. The name Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, what I like to do is I'll sit down, and I'll open my Bible, and I'm going to read through a book. And the first thing I like to do is look at what the name means. And when I read what the name means, sometimes I get really excited to read what this book has to say. You know, if, someone, if, if you're telling me that Nehemiah has been comforted by God. This is a book I want to read. I get excited. And this was no exception. Yahweh, the Lord, the great I Am, has comforted. And I'm sure there are people this morning who have felt that comfort. And there are other people who need to feel that comfort. And this is something we're going to return to shortly. But just keep that in mind as we go. To set the scene for this morning, the title I was given was Don't Vacillate, Perpetuate. So there were two reasons I picked to come this morning. The first reason was, I had no idea what vacillate meant. And the, the second reason was, I thought, if I don't know what it means, this will probably be a real challenge to prepare, because I'll have to actually learn something myself. Not to say that whenever I prepare a sermon, I don't learn something, but I knew on this occasion, right from the very go, I would be learning something. And the third was that there were going to be um, steak and kidney pies and sausage rolls. So um, that's why I'm here this morning. So I'd like to set us on a bit of a trajectory this morning. What do we understand by don't vacillate, perpetuate? Actually, one way we might look at it is to press on. So press on will be the teaching this morning. We'll be looking at the example of Nehemiah when he was being opposed for doing God's work. We'll look at covert opposition, overt opposition, how Nehemiah dealt with this and what the consequences of this were. So first of all, in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 6, we learn that word had reached the enemies of Nehemiah, Nehemiah saying that the wall surrounding Jerusalem was as good as finished. Apart from a few gates that were yet to be installed, the work was done. That The wall that had been built was unbreachable. <laughs> Nehemiah had been successful in leading people to build a wall around a city that would one day be the home of the promised king from the line of David. So these enemies sent messengers to Nehemiah. They said to him, Come at Hakiferim. we want to talk to you. They tried four times. Nehemiah said no. And this is where we learn of Nehemiah. He was a discerning man. From what is recorded in his memoirs, we read him say, But they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah knew what their motivations were. And then he recognised that the motivations, whilst to do him harm, were to actually stop the progress of this wall being built. And Nehemiah knew that he had a great work to do, so it couldn't be stopped. He didn't have time to break anything. He had to carry on doing this work, and he didn't want to be distracted. And is this something we can say about ourselves? We might not be building a wall, but we're all involved in building a kingdom here on earth. Jesus commissions us... His disciples, in Matthew 28, to go out, preach, teach, make disciples of all the nations, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are we being discerning, like Naomi, in recognising some of the distractions that might come up in life? Some instances where we're trying to be put off course. Now, these might not be huge spiritual distractions, but they could be little things, questions that were being asked. When all we need to do is preach the gospel. And it it was evident in the life of Jesus. Men came up to him and asked him questions, and he could discern the motivations and the heart behind the questions that he was asked. And he didn't answer the question, not with the answer they wanted to hear, he answered them with the gospel. He told them about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. So, where are we being asked questions? when the answer we need to give is to preach the gospel that was first preached to us. So not content with Nehemiah having denied this opportunity to come and meet in the field. An open letter was sent. Now we might think, oh, open letter, that's very polite. You know, if we read our New Testament, we might say that Sanballat was a few hundred years ahead of Jesus when he said, if your brother's done something, take it to him, go and speak to him. So this open letter's been sent, and we think, oh, that's nice. He was, he was being direct. You know, he really wanted to talk to him. But that wasn't what this open letter was. It was a letter that was intended to intimidate and humiliate Nehemiah. Because the openness of the letter, whilst it was probably addressed to Nehemiah, the intention was that it would be read out loud to everyone. And that they would hear the intentions of Nehemiah. Verse 6 tells us, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to... That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Geshem says it. When I read it out loud for the first time, I thought it was a little bit childish. Like, he said that you said that she said. It's like a playground. And I actually chuckled to myself. And I can imagine the finger pointing, Geshem has said this about you. It sounds a bit Vicky Pollard. So this letter was written with the intention of intimidating and humiliating. But Nehemiah had been given the approval to build this city. And now he was being accused of having a wrong motive. You can imagine that letter being read aloud. And you go, this isn't me, this isn't what I'm doing. And we know the real reason that he was building this wall was in anticipation of a Messiah who would come and rule from Jerusalem. And his enemies may well have been familiar with this, but they chose to ignore that, to try and humiliate him. So as I mentioned, Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. We don't read explicitly in this passage that Nehemiah was comforted. We don't see an arm put around him. But you could well imagine that Nehemiah would have needed some strength from God when people are pointing fingers at we want, We want comfort, we want love from the people who know us best. And we see Nehemiah as a courageous leader standing up and saying, no, this isn't true. This isn't me. This isn't what I'm doing. You're making this up out of your own minds. He stood confidently in the comfort of God. And once again, we see him using discernment. We move into verse 9. As we close out our discussion on over opposition, we see Nehemiah he can directly justify why Sanballat and his other enemies would want to say these things about him. They wanted to frighten him. And we don't know if Nehemiah felt fear, but he certainly cried out to God for strength. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Has anyone in this room ever needed to shout that out? Has anyone in this room got that feeling now that they need to shout out, oh God, strengthen my hands? We might not be facing opposition, but we may be facing accusations. People might be saying things about us that aren't true. Cry out to God, the God who comforts. If we turn back a few pages in our Bible, we'll read about the God who heard the cries of his people and rescued them out of captivity. And if we move forward a few pages in our Bibles, we'll see Jesus, the great high priest, the mediator who stands between God and man, He hears the prayers of the people and passes them on. He gives us comfort. Cry out to God. Paul tells us that in our weakness, in his weakness, he felt the strength of God at its greatest. Cry out to God and you'll see that his grace is sufficient. And we move on in chapter 6. We've had this over-opposition. The enemies of Nehemiah have have quite openly said, we want to talk to you. And then all of a sudden, we see Nehemiah again using this gift of discernment that he clearly has. In verse 10, Shemaiah plays the role of the deceitful hired hand who is charged with leading Nehemiah astray. He offers a non-existent threat. He says to Nehemiah, these people are going to kill you if you don't come with me. Come with me to the temple where you'll be safe. And Nehemiah, he knew his Bible and he said no because if i go into that temple a man like me into that temple i will surely die do we know scripture well enough that when people offer us a truth we are able to say no that's not god's truth we have to wear scripture upon our hearts and we'll return to that shortly now to say Tobiah and Sambalat had hired Shemaiah to pronounce this prophecy against Nehemiah would suggest that money had changed hands. Nobody particularly likes to be hired for free, and certainly not to do a rubbish job. That was the dirty work. He was going to tell Nehemiah, come with me, so that he would die. We've all seen those movies, you know, a bit of money is snuck around from hand to hand, pocket to pocket, and someone does the dirty work. And that might remind us of Judas Iscariot in the New Testament, who took money to betray Jesus. Covert opposition, things that happen behind our back that isn't necessarily plain to see. It even happened to the Son of God. And one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is false promise, because that's what Shemaiah was doing. He was making a false promise, a false sense of security. And verse 13, again, Nehemiah is being discerning. He knows that the reason Shemaiah was hired to do this, that he would sin, the consequence of his action of hearing, I'll surely die, I must go to the temple, to step into the temple would have been a sin, was what it was all about, so they could speak badly about him. And special attention needs to be paid there, to so that recognition that it would have caused us to sin, because... Actions have consequences, and that consequence isn't always sin, but sometimes it has to be, and we have to be discerning to think through what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what the outcome will be. Will it bring glory to God or not? And an example of this is found in Genesis 3. We find ourselves in the garden with Eve and the serpent. He tells her she'll be in a better position if she just eats the fruit. Don't listen to what God said. Don't trust him, trust me, I've got something better to give you. She trusts him. The action is that she eats the fruit, the consequence is sin. It's recorded in the Bible as being a crafty act. Conniving. The enemy tries to lead us astray. Not necessarily like I said by doing those big things, but little things that cause us to sin. We have to be discerning so that we don't get taken off track. Because, once again, if ami had gone into this temple, the work of building the wall would have stopped. And clearly, the importance of building this wall comes out in the following verses. And we start moving towards a conclusion. I'd like to offer a quick disclaimer here. I know if we played word association games on a Sunday morning and I said conclusion, you'd say, great, home time. <clears throat> And we've all sat through that sermon where the, where, the, where the preacher says, This is my final point. And then they go on and on and on. And justifiably so, when we hear the word conclusion, our mind can wander from the sermon and the, the person stood at the front to our roast dinner that's at home in the oven. Because if he does go on, the meat's going to be overcooked, the potatoes are going to be burnt. So I say conclusion, and I'm not going to go on forever. But we're just getting started. This is where it gets fun. This is where it starts to apply. Maybe where it gets challenging. And I know we all want roast. It's Sunday. But bear with me. So have a little bit of a fidget. Stretch your arms. Get comfy, if you can, in your chairs. And we'll move on. So a brief summary. There was permission given to build a wall. A wall that made Nehemiah unpopular. Opposition came. First it was overt, then it was covert. Nehemiah used the gift of discernment to see what these people were trying to do to him so that he wasn't distracted from the mission that God had sent him on to do, was to build this wall. Because if he hadn't built the wall, God's glory wouldn't have been seen. When we read verse 15 onwards, we can see two things clearly. Says this: So the wall was finished on the twenty-fifth day of the month of Elul, in fifty-two days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly. They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. They perceived that this work had been accomplished by the help of God, not by human hands. They tried to stop the people, but but the people cried out. Nehemiah cried out, God, give me strength. And the wall was built. And great fear fell upon the people because they saw how powerful Yahweh was. The God of Israel was powerful enough to have a, a wall built around an entire city in 52 days. And whilst there was fear of God, it must have been these men who built this wall that said it wasn't us, but it was God. And all glory and honour was given to him. And in recognising that the work of building the wall was completed by God, we can take away from that this morning something that reflects the God lifestyle. To press on in the midst of difficult circumstances speaks volumes about who we are as Christians and the God we believe in. Charles Spurgeon, he had a good beard. He said that inconsistent professors injure the gospel more than the sneering critic or the infidel. How we live our life says far more about the God we believe in than anything anyone outside the church can say about God, because they don't know him. They don't have a relationship. I'd like to share a little bit of my testimony with you this morning. When I worked for Lloyd's TSB quite a few years ago now, I was fresh-faced and young. I wasn't married. I was confident, happy-go-lucky. I was training to be a manager. Um, I was climbing my way up the, the rungs of the career ladder, and I was doing well. I was enjoying it. People knew who I was around the building, and it was great. Then one day, I found myself sat in a doctor's office in pieces, wondering what on earth was going on, and I was suffering with anxiety. And I ended up being signed off work for three months. And there were times I had to go back and see the doctor every fortnight, that I would cry on my way to the doctors. I'd cry whilst I was waiting for the doctor and then when I saw him, because I couldn't go back, because I had no strength to do it. I was crushed. I was a shell of who I am today and who I was then as well. And then it got to that point where I had to go back to work. The doctor said to me, if you don't go back, you're never going to go back. And that was tough. I spent a lot of time reading my Bible and praying and asking God to give me strength to go back to be who I was. And then there's that human element of it as well. You know, embarrassment, because people knew who I was. Then people knew that I'd been off for three months. And then I took a demotion and went back from being a manager and dealing with people to having to do paperwork, where people were managing me. You know, Every minute of my day was watched by someone. And then I was put on a new team that had started the month that I, I went back. And there were three other guys that were put on the team with me. And I went back and I talked about who I was and the God that I believed in and the experience I'd had of suffering with anxiety for, for this summer. And then Bashir was one of the guys that I worked with. And he turned around and said to me, I had three months off. i would taken the same medication as you. I came back two weeks before you did. He said I hadn't told anyone about it, because I was really embarrassed. But because you talked about it, I felt that I could, and it was a weight off of his shoulders. Because how I lived my Christian life empowered him. It made him see who God was, how much hope I had, and it made him ask questions. It it built relationship. Inconsistent professors injure the gospel more than those who are critics. So central to what we've talked about this morning is our relationship with God. We need to have the spirit living inside of us, the spirit that was sent at Pentecost. With that spirit, we can discern what God is saying to us, and we can discern that things that other people are saying about us aren't necessarily so. And there will be times where people will offer us a rebuke. I'm training for ministry. I get told off all the time. But it's in love, and it's because the people who are in authority over me want the best for me, In my future ministry, because I'm 26, I'm going to be doing this for a really long time, by the grace of God. But we have to recognise where people are saying things that will build our character, and where other people are trying to break our character so that we go off course from doing what God has called us to do in Matthew 28, to make disciples, to preach the good news. And preaching the good news isn't all about standing at the front, but it's about building those relationships, coming alongside people that we have coffee with that we spend time with in the workplace, the social groups we go to, families we meet. There are people everywhere that we can talk to that just by our very words and actions, Jesus is recognised. The gospel is preached. I think it's Francis of Assisi is most famously misquoted all the time for that whole, um, if you have to preach the gospel, um, use words if necessary, something along those lines. It's it's really misquoted. But, But you know what I mean? that who we are is gospel. Because the Spirit lives inside of us and transforms us all the time to be new people. And I said it's important to have Scripture inside of us. The film Memento, I don't know if many people have seen it, it's about a man who's got memory problems. And this guy, unlike you, Dave, had a complex list of was minutes and it was gone. And he had a complex list of notes and Polaroid photographs and he was covered in tattoos because his, his memory went so quickly, he didn't know who he was. And he had all these things that made him sure of his identity, who he was. Dave, don't get any tattoos. All right? <laughs> he knew who he was. And it was written down. He could see it. We know who we are in this. When we're rooted in Scripture and we're in relationship with God, we have to be soaking it up. We have to have God, sorry, I hit the microphone. We have to have God on our hearts so that when people say to us X, Y, Z, we can say, no, that's wrong because God says this. We take in with our eyes, it spills out through our hearts, through our mouths. If we root ourselves in scripture, we'll allow it to challenge us and encourage us. Nehemiah was sure of his calling. He knew what God said about him. He was able to come before God and ask for strength confidently. To declare truth to those who opposed him and see the mission of God that he'd been called to be a part of completed. And it wasn't the ultimate completion because there was still so much to do. And that's where we close this morning in chapter 7. There was still a lot of work to be done, but Nehemiah seems hopeful. He was setting people in place to be able to work with him. And that's what we have to do as we equip and encourage each other. We're able to go out to the front lines and see people coming back in where they're equipped and encouraged, and they're set free by the Spirit to use the gifts that God gives for the building up of the saints. And the cycle repeats. It keeps repeating, and we'll face opposition. Because wherever there's an advance for the kingdom of God, opposition will come. Because people don't want to see the kingdom of God growing and expanding because it changes lives and things will come against us that will stop us but we need to live a life like Nehemiah we need to discern the truth be aware of who God says we are seek him for strength and be, for, be sure of the goal that is set out before us to preach the Gospels, the gospel and make disciples of all nations don't vacillate perpetuate press on amidst the opposition